0: Hi, this is Alan Ruff, the Thursday host of a public affair. If you have a moment and uh, the resources, remember to support the station and if you will, head over to wrtfm.org to donate and to see what else is going on at the station
1: six foot six level. I my mic because I like to take it to another mental level Low power frequency radio modulation
0: and good afternoon and welcome to this the Thursday edition of a public affair. I'm your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff. I thought we'd have a sort of freewheeling conversation today with our guest, uh, that is uh, John Nichols. John Nichols is a national affairs correspondent for the nation and associate editor of the Capital Times here in Madison. He has written, co authored, or edited over a dozen books on topics ranging from the histories of American socialism and the Democratic Party, to analyses of U.S. and global media systems. His latest, co-written with Senator Bernie Sanders, is the New York Times bestseller, It's Okay to be Angry About Capitalism. John Nichols, welcome. It's been quite some time since we've done a program, years maybe, but uh, it's good to see you, even if I could see you remote, and welcome, welcome. (laughs)
2: it's great to be with you Alan and it's great to see you even remotely I we, we uh, we've got to get back in the studio one of these days but uh, these are these are in fact busy days so I guess we'll we'll make use of video and and a uh, little audio here
0: John I'd like to start our conversation with your perspective on Israel's war on Gaza and what is what what an increasing number of informed observers and human rights organizations are now terming a genocide in motion against the Palestinian people. For starters, give us, if you will, your your read on the current situation.
2: Well, my read on the cor- current situation is it's an absolute nightmare for people in Gaza. I mean, something horrific beyond uh, 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 comprehension, and and I and I do not say that casually, um, despite the amount of coverage that has occurred uh the amount of reporting uh which has frankly been better than in the past uh on Israeli incursions in Gaza and Israeli assaults on Gaza I, I think it's still very hard for Americans to wrap their head around you know what's going on here the better part of 30,000 people killed uh, huge portion of them children uh, better part of 70,000 people wounded again huge portion of them children civilian infrastructure effectively destroyed um the better part of two million people displaced, um, huge, epic numbers of refugees. Few populations in the history of the world um, where such a large proportion had had become refugees, and uh, a substantial number forced now into Rafa, uh, which I'll note was at one point considered to be Madison's uh, sister city. Still is, um, yes, on the border of with with Egypt. There, huge portion of people moved into this space at the behest of the Israeli military but now threatened with an assault um that could lead to massive numbers of additional deaths so I mean I I think that that when we take that into perspective it's it should be very easy to say that there should be an immediate ceasefire Um, and uh beyond that there should be a massive global infusion of aid to to try and you know save Palestinian literally save the lives of Palestinians at this point And then with that, though, there there has to be a a radical shift in our perspective as regards the relationship between Israel and Palestine. And that shift has to be um, toward a view that that, you know, Palestinian respect and sovereignty has to has to be established. Um, The challenge, of course, as you well know, Alan, because you've been involved in these issues for a very long time, uh, is uh, in large part, not only But in large part the united states because the united states has uh continually uh shored up backed up uh covered for the israeli government especially in this current circumstance um they're literally talking about giving 14 billion more in military aid uh to the israelis this week and um it is a nightmarish it's just a nightmarish circumstance the one thing i'll say though uh and and you know me alan i I do try to look for something hopeful um, the one thing I'll say that's hopeful is the response to what has occurred in Gaza, in the United States, has been so immense and so uh, vibrant uh, that I think it we have seen a change in the discourse. Now, we haven't seen a change in reactions from leadership, at least not sufficient, but we have cha- seen a real change in the discourse at the grassroots and across this country, and you're seeing uh, Muslims, Christians, and Jews um rising up and and people with people of no faith uh rising up and saying you know this this u.s policy has to change there has to be a fundamental shift so i think we're living in historic times uh but that doesn't make them happy times
0: you're listening to john nichols uh excuse me national fears correspondent for nation magazine and associate editor of the capital times madison capital times John you sort of touched on it but I want to take it deeper that is what's your outlook on the way in which the Biden administration has handled this crisis the ways in which the administration has continued to aid Israel's war effort while talking about restraint uh the lack of administration support for a ceasefire
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's it's been it's been awful um and and it's been awful from the start look the the Hamas attack on Israeli kibbutzim and and uh, and on a music festival was was indefensible and awful. Uh and you saw the death of twelve thousand or twelve hundred people. Um and it was absolutely appropriate to respond with sympathy and uh with support for uh humanitarian response to that. But uh when Benjamin Netanyahu, who I've covered, you know, having reported in Israel and Palestine for a long time in, in many circumstances over the years, but Netanyahu, who is, is an incredibly crass politician, when he immediately used a time of, of national trauma uh, to launch a war, uh, Biden's response should have been one of counseling uh, caution and, and, and you know intervening at that early point and saying, look, this can't become what it has effectively become. Uh, instead, Biden flew to uh, to Israel, and you had that that image of Biden hugging Netanyahu on the tarmac, right? And despite the fact that I think it's fair to say Biden and his his inner circle, his administration, have undoubtedly counseled the Israelis to be more responsible than they've been. Uh, you can't undo that photo on the tarmac, right? You know that that embrace and by and large from from the beginning of this process you've had the united states uh officials especially Bl- biden to some extent lincoln saying things that that appear to show movement right that appear to show movement toward a more moderate stance but the words are not coupled with actions at least not publicly and when you are talking about a 14 billion dollar military aid package to israel coming at this time with support from the administration i mean it it's i think the words become you know just that words uh the actions are what matter and the failure of the administration to um not just to come out for a ceasefire and to aggressively support a ceasefire but really the failure of the administration to recognize um the complicity of the united states in what's occurring in gaza is uh i think it's jarring, I think it is also politically uh, very harmful, frankly. I think there's a a generation of young people as well as many people from a variety of communities, not just the Palestinian community, not just the Muslim American community, but from a variety of communities that are looking at this. And um, they're frankly horrified by by the U.S. approach. And by extension from that, they're horrified by President Biden's approach.
0: John, I want to. Uh, I'm going to come back to what, the, what this is all going to mean, could mean, uh, politically on the domestic scene. Uh, talk for a second or so about the diplomatic support. You used the word cover before in in the international arena that the United States has offered up.
2: Oh, I mean the key thing is at the United Nations, right? Um, you know, there's the the leadership of the united nations has actually been sending some very powerful signals as regards support for a ceasefire support for aid uh and understanding of the importance of saving lives that making the the saving of lives the the initial response and then from that obviously some effort to achieve uh peace and justice in the longer term the united states has blocked literally blocked uh un actions on this regard it's also operated, you know, beyond that official capacity. It's operated within the circle of nations with its highly influential position uh, to continue to try and uh, rally military support and diplomatic support uh, for Israel. Uh, Yes, it is true that Blinken has gone to the Middle East and has, uh, by all accounts, attempted to work with the Qataris and others to achieve temporary ceasefires. Um, and, and I certainly think that's great. I want to see any kind of ceasefire is good, but the reality is that even as Blinken does that, you know, or even as you see some effort to achieve a temporary ceasefire, you continue to see, um, at the upper levels of, uh, international community and also diplomacy, a, a a covering, a, a support for, uh, Israel and not just for Israel in general, but particularly for Netanyahu. And uh, Netanyahu is extremely unpopular within Israel. I don't deny that. That I, I think that most Israelis are probably supportive of action, you know, in Gaza. I, I, you know, I know I can recognize that. But the the extreme approach that Netanyahu has taken um, is one that has caused a great deal of dissent within within Israel, especially from the families of hostages, but from others. And um, instead of Focusing in on that and working with the international community to try and at the very least temper uh, Netanyahu's extreme response, uh, the United States continues to, um, you know, again, to, to give a cover by, by embrace. And what I mean by that is that even as the other day, Joe Biden said that the Israeli response or the re- Israeli actions are over the top, right? And that you know that seemed to be some sort of challenge then he went into a phone conversation long phone conversation with netanyahu and all that's announced is essentially he talked with netanyahu right you know it isn't it isn't saying no i called Netanyahu and i said this has to stop or i called netanyahu and i said there has got to be a ceasefire um this is it's still i think one level of communication for an american audience and maybe a global audience that is exceptionally angry and frustrated by what's going on in Gaza. And, and there's this sort of moderate communication. But at the same time, another signal that the U.S. is not going to to break with Netanyahu and not going to tell Netanyahu he's got to stop uh, and, and his war cabinet and those around him. So I I think that uh, I think that Biden, has done a a lousy job of handling this from pretty much start to finish.
0: I'm wondering about your thoughts in regard to the offensive here in the U.S. by pro-Israel forces to censor or shut down any criticism of what Israel is doing. That is the equating of criticism of Israel or Zionism with anti-Semitism. I I see it as a kind of neo-McCarthyism, if you will.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and, and Alan, you've, you've, Worked on these issues for a very long time, and are, are, I would argue, more conscious of them in many ways than I am. And I, I respect your work on it. And I also, you know, if people ask me, so who, who should talk about some of this? I, I would probably say Alan Ruff. Uh, and so uh, I can only offer my perspective. And and my perspective is uh, was actually interestingly enough summed up. Uh, it's been summed up by people in Israel, plenty of people in Israel, who say. Will tell you that criticism of Israel is not anti-Semitic, and criticism of Israel is not, um, you know, challenging even of Zionism is not some sort of, you know, like assault on the Jewish people, um, and that's that's obviously something that's well stated in Israel quite often, um, but it's also stated I thought very well by of all people Jerry Nadler, the former chair of the uh, House Judiciary Committee longtime member of Congress from New York City uh, and, and a, a, a proud Jewish member of Congress, who when they were were doing one of these resolutions in Congress, which was clearly trying to punish people, you know, and, and shut people down for criticizing Israel, actually delivered a, a very deeply thoughtful address in which he said, you know, look, I represent or I have known uh, Jews who are anti-Zionist. And who for either religious traditions or political traditions question, um, the question Zionism question, you know, Israel on, on all sorts of levels. Right. And that, that is a part of Judaism that, that is, that is a one part of Judaism. And so to call that anti Semitic, right. Um, is, uh, it, it's clearly an effort to shut down an honest discourse and, um, um I think it has not been as successful as it might have been in the past because so many Jewish Americans have stepped up to protest against uh, our pol- this country's policies and frankly, also against uh, Israel's policies. And you know, look at the, the incredible growth of Jewish Voice for Peace and if not now, and um, all sorts of rabbinical groups that have come together to advocate for a ceasefire. Um, I, I worked with the uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson and Jewish Voice for Peace and some other folks uh, to put together a uh, forum uh, in Chicago in January on all these issues. And it's a emergency forum on Gaza. And what was very striking about it was uh, the the deep engagement, the, the passionate engagement of, uh, Jewish Americans from the Chicago area, uh, but also from around the country uh, who came in, people like Peter Beinart and others, uh, to say, look, uh, what is being done in Gaza is wrong. And criticizing that is criticizing Israel's policies is not an assault on Israel. In fact, there are many Jewish Americans saying it is actually honoring Jewish tradition and honoring Jewish values. And so i do think that that's that's something that's important to amplify right and to get out there to to open up this discourse and to have a more honest discourse uh but i will say that that frankly in my view and i'll be interested in your your take on this too in my view um the the discourse the dialogue is very different in the past and it has been made very different by the uh sincere activism of muslim americans the sincere activism of christian americans and the very sincere activism of jewish americans for a ceasefire and for peace
0: you know the thing uh, this uh accusation has gone to the gone to the extent that the anti-defamation league issued a notice uh labeling jewish voice for peace as an anti-semitic group
2: it's a hard it's a hard sell to make um (laughs) and and you know i i will note also that uh that some members of Congress have developed spines that they didn't have in the past, right? And you're seeing more uh, pushback against this. Uh, and obviously uh, there are some members who've been working on these issues for a very long time, like Congressman Mark Pocan, um, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Cory Bush and others. And, um, and it's notable, I, I think very notable, that when APAC, which is a, a, a group that, that obviously supports the Netanyahu line um when APAC threatened to punish members of congress for their objections to uh, u.s policy and also to what's been happening in gaza when that threat came down um instead of kind of backing off and being you know tempered or, or cowered by it uh mark pokan the congressman from the madison area uh began an open debate with APAC, and he's been going after them on social media very aggressively and they've been going after him i mean it is it's intense but um but i think that that there is a a growing willingness on the part of uh some members of congress certainly not enough uh to push back against this effort to shut down the discourse and i only bring up the members of congress not because everything else isn't relevant all all the rest is is immensely relevant Uh, what's happening in academia, what's happening in the street, etc. But it is it is vital in debates like this that you have folks who are on the ballot, right, who are, are in the Capitol, who are in the political discourse, who say that it is okay to object, right, it is okay to push back, it is okay to challenge this, that it isn't anti-Semitic to say that Israel is wrong on this issue. And when you have that, I think that that does open up the debate more, and it gives i i hope gives more confidence to people uh, of all backgrounds and of all faiths who want to you know speak their truth as regards these issues
0: the phone lines will be open at only just a few more minutes at half past the hour if you want to join in the conversation with our guest today john nichols give us a call at 608-256-2001 John Nichols, I want to come back to something we kind of blew by very quickly. I want to deepen the discussion a little bit. Uh, you monitor public opinion polls quite closely on a broad range of concerns. In regard to Israel's war, um, there appears to be a cognitive dissonance going on in regard to what the majority of those surveyed apparently would like to see, that is a ceasefire. Uh, what? versus what has been going on in Congress and the administration. What are your thoughts on that disconnect? What's, what do you see as, what's
2: behind it? Well, it's really striking, isn't it? Because there has been polling that showed um, solid majorities of Americans. And I mean, polls are complex. And I, I do, you're right, Alan, I, I monitor polls a lot. And I can tell you that polls are, are not always reliable. Uh, the best thing to do is look at a mix of polls. Look at look at a lot of them and see if there's patterns. Because patterns are better than than relying on one poll, and and there is a pattern of polling that shows uh, strong support for a ceasefire. And interestingly enough, that that support is is particularly strong among Democrats. Right? That that uh, and so you would think that would have some influence on uh, the the president, on leadership in the Senate. House is controlled by Republicans, and and frankly, very nationalistic uh, Republicans. So it's it's a tougher game there. But you would think it would have more influence. Um, I guess I I would divide it up in two ways. Number one, I think it has had an influence. I think you have seen members of Congress step up in favor of a ceasefire, and they're now uh, the the win without war folks do a monitoring of this. I think the Friends Committee on National Legislation does as well. And you've got roughly 60 members of Congress who've endorsed a ceasefire in some form or another. Um, And uh, and that's that's a lot, frankly. It's, it's a substantial number, not a sufficient number, but substantial. Uh, you also have had uh, members who were resistant to using the word come around to using it. Uh, you have had in the Senate something remarkable that's happened where, you know, Bernie Sanders and uh, Jeff Merkley and uh, Peter Welch just this last week voted against the, this massive aid package, not just for Israel but for Ukraine and, and a host of other initiatives, uh specifically because they said they can't, as as Sanders said, you can't give another nickel uh to Netanyahu and to to what's going on. And uh Sanders, Merkley, and Welch talked about the United States being complicit. You know, especially Sanders saying this. Um so there's an opening up of the dialogue. And I think there are people in Washington who are responding to um the the message from America uh and also by the way I can emphasize it isn't just in polling uh grassroots activists are going to members of Congress's office and and saying you know we need something to happen here we need a change and Jewish voice for peace has been very active in that but also notably on um some Christian groups uh, Mennonite action which is the Mennonite faith is a very small faith uh one of the smaller denominations in Christianity and yet they're their incredible activism at congressional offices across the United States, I think has had a profound impact. I mean, uh, they I think they have influenced some members. Beyond that, they have caused members who won't move to be conscious that there is a genuine, broad-based opposition. So let's put that all in one box, right? So that's that's the that's the encouraging part of this. That yet there's still overwhelming congressional opposition to a shift in policy, right? And you say, well, why is that? Well, I think we've seen a part of it, you know, in this moment. The members of Congress who have stepped up, Cori Bush, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Pressley, AOC, uh, and but others uh, across the country, Jamal Bowman, uh, many of them face, now face primary challenges. And you have seen uh, groups that, that support Israeli policies literally saying that they will spend tens of millions of dollars to defeat those members who step up and express support for ceasefire now um i'm not going to tell you that that's necessarily going to work um i think that a number of these members will be re-elected but the impact on a, a more cautious member of congress of seeing the threat that when you step up and say your first ceasefire you could end up taking a primary challenge and that that challenge could be heavily financed that it could be a very very Strong challenge. Uh, Look, Alan, you and I both know enough about politics to understand that that causes an awful lot of members to back off, right? And to instead of doing the right thing, uh, to do what they think of as the politically safe thing. And and I think it's it it's we've seen it all in real time since October seventh, right? Since the Hamas attack on Israel, we have seen the Israeli assault on Gaza, and then we have seen all of these political plays come into come into focus, and the one thing I would say about it is uh, Summer Lee, who is a congresswoman from the the Pittsburgh area, and who is a very early sign on for a ceasefire, uh, and has been really active and outspoken on this issue. She's taken a primary challenge, and um, and it will be a serious challenge. It's a tough district, but uh, strikingly, she just reported fundraising figures and is raising a a tremendous amount of grassroots money the ordinary people across america and in her district who are who want to push back at this and uh these primaries are going to be a real test alan uh for cory bush for jamal bowman for summer lee um and how they turn out i think will have for better or worse and probably you know it's a tough call but will have a, a real impact on on how much courage congress shows
0: I want to come back to the uh, domestic political uh, scene, uh, but we do have a caller uh, waiting patiently online. Hi, Dan, you're on the air.
1: Uh, hello. Um, my question is for John Nichols. Um, as Israel's onslaught against Gaza continues unabated, there's clearly been a mass defection of politically engaged youth from the Democratic Party, or at least from the more Zionist elements within it. And, uh, This especially impacts ultra-Zionist Joe Biden. So, John, do you think Joe Biden's long-standing support of Israel's indefensible acts will cost him the presidency come November? And uh, please don't spare my feelings, even if you do believe (laughs) Biden's unwavering support
2: will put Trump in the White House. Thanks. I'll take my answer off the air. Uh, You asked the critical question, right, for domestic politics. And I know Alan would say and i will say that that we have to be very careful about running too much of this through domestic politics right there's a there is a a nightmare unfolding in gaza and no matter who's in charge no matter what's going on our first priority has to be to save lives right and that's immediate that's before an election and the impact on an election is something that, that comes later and and months can pass right and and sentiments can shift etc but here's the here's the critical thing do i think that joe biden's prospects for reelection have been harmed by the stance he has taken as regards netanyahu israel palestine and gaza right and and the the clearly understood stance that he has taken do i think that that his reelection prospects have been harmed yes i do i think that there is simply no question i was in michigan this week um and there is no question that palestinian americans muslim americans and arab americans three separate groups by the way they're not there's there's inner interplay there but but remember there are many christian palestinians um there are uh many christian arabs in america you know what i mean there's you got this whole mix and 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 this is a diverse community. But in my conversations with folks, my interactions with folks, what I have heard is a horror at what's going on in Gaza. And this is a community that that, uh, has political diversity within it, Uh, and in fact, not that long ago had a lot of Republican voters in it. But in recent years, the community overall, this would be Arab Americans, has moved toward voting for Democrats. And in fact, it has become very, very critical for Democrats in states like Michigan, Georgia and others um I think that the clear polling data the anecdotal evidence and frankly um you know logic tells you that Biden's got a real problem here and that that could impact uh his reelection uh beyond that though I I, I wouldn't narrow it just to uh again Palestinian Americans Muslim Americans Arab Americans I would suggest to you also that um if you look at the polling data. There is a, a huge concern in many other communities, among young people, uh, that's a demographic grouping, among African-Americans. Um, there's there's a great deal of evidence that there's a high level of concern among Native Americans who are critical voting bloc in a lot of uh, Western states. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you can't look at this and not see a potential political impact. Now, the caller wonders, do I think that Joe Biden will get beat? I'm. I can't tell you that i don't know and look the the fight between uh bush and uh by or between i'm saying bush between trump and biden um will have its own dynamics and because trump has been such an anti-immigrant activist uh and and so ardent and and some of those issues and a host of other issues it may create a situation where some folks who are horribly offended and angry with Biden, frustrated with Biden, might yet come back and vote for him, holding their noses in November. That could happen, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say it will happen, right? I mean, I think I think that that Biden, who is already in a vulnerable place, is in a more vulnerable place because of the stance he has taken.
0: Jade tells me that we do have another person uh, with a, uh Israel-related palestine israel related questions so we'll take that and then i want to see if we can squeeze in some other topics hello sure. fr- hello fran you're on the air
1: hi uh, john i'm sympathetic to a lot of what you say but i ask you to put your place put yourself in the place of an israeli citizen who mm-hmm. has relatives or friends who've been brutalized raped by a group that is pledged not to a two-state solution, but to the destruction of Israel. How would you react and what would you say to those people?
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's a very, very good question. I really appreciate you, you bringing it into the mix here. Um, as I mentioned, Alan, I've spent a, a good deal of my life as a journalist reporting in Israel and in Palestine and, uh, and know a lot of folks there. And uh, what happened on October 7th was horrific. So overwhelming that uh, that you know, I think a lot of us walked around in a daze for a couple couple of days because uh, it it was it, it drove home the reality that there are folks who who want to kill um, kill Jews in Israel, right? And and that happened. And so I, I think that that you cannot deny that, and you shouldn't. However, the one thing I will say is. As somebody who's had a lot of contact over the years with the israeli peace movement and with uh progressives within israel is that there is a community within israel a strong community within israel that that um says there should be a ceasefire right that isn't this isn't just something coming from america or europe there are israelis who support a ceasefire there are actually members of the israeli military who have advocated for a ceasefire and um and you say well how can this be the answer to this is I, I think it runs deep into an understanding of the dynamics of hamas um hamas is uh is a grouping that has many many members not all but many um uh, who are you know had are the children the grandchildren of of folks who were killed in in previous fights with israel right and um as some have said as has been said you know that that You know these assaults on gaza uh they don't wipe out hamas they they recruit people to it right they they build the the level of resentment and anger in a rising generation in one of the youngest uh one of the places the youngest population in the world and so uh i tend to respect the view of israelis who have said that if they want real security right they have got to figure out a way to stabilize circumstances in Gaza, stabilize the circumstances in general, and to move toward real negotiations toward peace and justice. Um, and uh, I don't think that diminishes the the horror uh, or does it diminish the, the sorrow or even the anger over what's happened in the past. But I do think it asks, is there a logical way, is there a logical way to, to stop the killing, to dial down uh, the hate and to to move us toward um toward some sort of stability in in the region i happen to believe there is and and a lot of that belief is rooted in having reported on the ground uh in israel and palestine and frankly who have met people jews muslims and christians there who desperately want peace and who are willing to make great sacrifices on behalf of peace uh i i wish that that american politicians more american politicians knew um how diverse the debate is within israel and um at the very least i wish they'd just read Haaretz, you know and, and see the debate on the pages of that very widely circulated israeli newspaper which is often a much more vibrant debate than what we see in the u.s
0: i, I read it every morning and i think uh, a lot
2: of us do at this point
0: know, again jade is telling me that we have uh, another person on on the line, uh, Will, you're on the air.
1: Hi, uh, I have a question. I think it follows very well from what you were just talking about, um, and it's that I think that without APAC and the Anti Defamation League, the, I mean, the debate here and the the, just the information that we get is so controlled in what we're allowed to say, and I've always been amazed at how people can say. Anything about any group, any racial group, sexual preference group, but if it comes to saying something about Israel, it is so shut down um, and how that, by the the power of and control of the anti- defamation league and APAC, how can that change? i mean in, in, as you just said, in Israel, the debate is much more vibrant and and broad. Thank so you Colin. How do you see that changing
2: Sure. Well, I think it is changing, and and I think that that one of the most powerful forces causing it to change. There's multiple forces that, that are that are causing it to change. It's not changing rapidly enough, obviously, um, but I, I think it is very important that Arab Americans are organizing and speaking up and saying, "Hey, you know, you need to pay attention to the reality that that this is a diverse region in which there are are." Jews, Muslims Christians uh, non-believers believers in other faith traditions and um, and that that somehow we've got to have a broader view and I think the the Arab American community and people like Jim Zogby a uh, longtime head of the Arab American Institute have done tremendous works to open up the debate and they haven't succeeded at the level that they should but they have had an impact uh, even if you look at the the op-ed pages of the New York Times you're seeing a much more diversity in opinions there and many Arab American uh, intellectuals, activists and others uh, taking a forum, grabbing a forum and being heard. In addition to that, you're seeing a tremendous number of Jewish Americans who are stepping up via groups like Jewish Voice for Peace and Not in Our Name and many other groups. Uh, But I think they they are pushing the boundaries of the debate and opening it up. I do think, you know, look, and Alan, you can you can confirm or disagree on this one. I think I have seen a very different coverage by the New York Times. And the New York Times has historically uh, not been particularly good. NPR is another example, often criticized for its coverage of uh, Israel-Palestine issues. Uh, you've seen an opening there and a more, uh, a more realistic reporting that has been occurring and more realistic commentary. It's not where it needs to be but i do think it is shifting and in a in a moment like this obviously there's a sense of urgency right there is a, a concern that you know why talk about slow improvement when there is you know something that has to be dealt with immediately a challenge that has to be dealt with immediately, and that's an appropriate critique uh the reason i do bring up the improvement though is because so in, in the the quality of the dialogue is that i think it has been so exponential in these recent months, right? That things have opened up in so many ways in these recent months. And this is a time in which to you know, push those boundaries more to make sure that we have a deeper, better dialogue. Um, one thing that can be done is obviously to critique media and to to ask media to do a better job. And that's something Bob McChesney and I have written about for, for many, many years. That's a, a legitimate and important thing. Another thing is to consume media uh, that is international, right? Uh, uh, we were just talking about how that's there's 972, which is another, uh, very important, uh, Israeli publication that you can get online. There is the guardian, which, uh, not perfect, but often does, uh, important coverage, the independent from England as well, which, which often does a lot of very, um, I think thoughtful coverage and, and many other publications. And so I guess what I would say to folks is, um, yes, Consume social media because you're getting a lot on social media and and a lot of diverse opinions there. But don't just rely on social media. Also, you know, demand more of traditional media and search out and consume traditional media uh, from U.S. and from around the world that does a better job of covering these issues.
0: We're going to stay with the phones for a bit more. Uh, Harry, hi, you're on the air.
3: Yes. uh, Thanks very much for the uh, very thoughtful discussion. I just uh, like you folks to ask, and I'd like to ask you folks to talk a little bit about uh, the need to restore funding to UNRWA, the UN agency that has uh, given so much aid uh, to the Palestinians in the past, and has now been uh, aid has now been cut by the U.S. and I think 12 other nations. Uh, so, and and then it's just I don't understand how how Senator Baldwin can continue. Uh, to support Israel under these circumstances, and to say she's concerned about health care and uh, people, and still give uh, 14 support 14 billion dollars for Israel in this most recent vote, and I don't know how uh, people can continue to support Senator Baldwin or uh, President Biden under these these circumstances. Um, so, and I, I think I'd, I'd also like to mention that tonight uh, there's a city. Act. I'm sorry. Tonight, there's a county board resolution for folks um, interested in this issue. There's a call for a ceasefire in Gaza to be supported by the county board. Um, That'll be supposed, it's scheduled to be voted on tonight at seven o'clock, and people can go to the county board website and find out more about that. There's also a resolution uh, for uh, against anti-Semitism and another resolution condemning Islamophobia.
0: Thank you, Harry.
2: So I think people should know about those. Thank you. John Bye. Nichols. That's very good, Harry. And thanks, thanks for mentioning the things that are happening on the county board. I think it's especially important when county boards deal with these issues. City Council of Madison has already uh, called for a ceasefire. But uh, when when the county board does it, you're bringing in suburban and rural areas as well. And I think that that, um, that sends an even broader signal to someone like Senator Baldwin um, that, you know, this is this is this movement for ceasefire is very broad it extends uh way beyond traditional uh communities and neighborhoods to to embrace a lot of people in a lot of places i was just in of all places yesterday or two days ago in kalamazoo michigan and i went by a I was driving down the street I was went by a baptist church that used its little sign in front that usually says you know come on sunday and uh and its sign was and the sign said support a ceasefire uh, you know, end the occupation of Gaza. Uh, and uh, this was a Baptist church. So I, I think it's the, what you're talking about with these resolutions. They matter. They, they communicate. I think it's also great that there's a resolution opposing anti-Semitism because we have seen a rise in anti-Semitism of late and that needs to be addressed. Uh, and also uh, opposing Islamophobia and, and, you know, assaults on the, on the Muslim community. So it's valuable, and that's a good thing. I'm glad you, you focused in on that. But the core of your, your call was about uh, the UNRWA money, and uh, this is a big deal. Uh, there was a, a report that, that – well, let me, let me back up one bit and say that, you know, UNRWA has huge numbers of employees, right? It, it employs thousands of people because this is an aid organization that is literally seeking to deliver massive amounts of food and, and all sorts of other aid uh, to people in incredibly difficult situations. And so they hire on the ground locally, right? Uh, that's how you make it work. It's some, one of the great lessons of, of modern refugee aid, and I've, I've dealt with this a lot over the years, uh, is that, that the way to get it to people most quickly and most effectively is to hire on the ground, not to parachute in people from other places. And when you do that, yeah, are you going to potentially get folks from a lot of different opinions, a lot of different backgrounds, et cetera? Yes, you are. Um, there's been a report that some folks who were employed by UNRWA may have been involved or perhaps were, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to parse language here, an, an assertion that they were folks from who were employed by UNRWA that were involved in, in the October 7 attack, a small number. And uh, there's some dispute about that, people can debate it. But as a result of that, the United States uh, and several other countries cut their funding to UNRWA uh, at precisely the point where its work is really essential to providing food and, and aid in Gaza. Um, I think that that it is absolutely appropriate to say to, to groups, look, you need to monitor your employees. You need to try and make sure that your employees are, are not doing bad things, of course. And UNRWA has said they will and that they are, right? And... Uh, and so I'm sympathetic to the position taken by, I believe, just today, I think it was Canada, um, Australia, and New Zealand uh, putting out a statement saying that they, they were going to support UNRWA uh, because of the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. I think that's what the United States should be doing as well. Um, you know, again, at the at the end of the day, uh, when you're employing thousands and thousands of people, are there going to be situations that, that may um may be wrong inappropriate whatever whatever term you want to use yes that can happen but at the the fundamental level this is an agency that provides an immense amount of food an immense amount of aid to people who are literally starving right and so um you've got to find a way to to make it work and and so I would hope that the United States would would shift its stance
0: Let's bring Barb on. We're getting close to the end of the hour, and it flies by. I'm very happy. We may not
2: get to our other topics. Yeah, the other
0: half dozen. <laughs> but yeah, there are uh, many, of course. yeah, no, it's turned into a good program with lots of callers. So let's keep on. Barb, hi, you're on the air.
4: Hi, I wanted to get back more specifically to Senator Baldwin, because mm-hmm. I think you're kind of skirting around the issue. I've somebody has told me that works at the legislature, that the problem with Tammy Baldwin, she's never seen a military program she doesn't like, and that she regards it as uh, a jobs program. And in fact, next week, I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday, she's the keynote speaker at something that was just formed last December. It's a, I can't remember the name, but it's a it's, a, it's by the ma- manufacturers and commerce has developed a little subcommittee that is going to lobby and organize people to push for increased military production and coordination of military, uh, you know, programs in Wisconsin. And Senator Baldwin, frankly, has been horrible on Gaza, horrible. She has refused to meet with people other than one 20-minute little zoom session where you know nothing happened she she's along with biden in promoting this and she's going to face the same kind of blowback that biden is going to face from people who are just not going to vote for her and so i would like john as being from the Capitol times which has has supported tammy baldwin for years to address why he thinks tammy baldwin takes this position that she does and i'll take my answer off the air thank you
2: I appreciate the the question. We had an editorial, uh, I think it was not this week, but last week, um, calling Senator Baldwin out uh, for uh, the stance that she has taken and particularly um, objecting to her vote on on a very specific issue that uh, Senator Bernie Sanders had brought up. Senator Sanders had asked that the United States government uh, do an assessment of the use of weapons, weaponry provided by the U.S. and aid provided by the U.S. Uh, in Gaza, right? Uh, he wanted, you know, just a, a baseline assessment to make clear whether U.S. aid and U.S. weapons are specifically being used in Gaza and the extent to which uh, they are causing death destruction there. It was a, a simple ask, and it, it's not, you know, it's just for facts, right? It's, it's for information that, by the way, we could, can easily gather. And the interesting thing about that vote was that um, in, the, in the Senate, Senator Sanders, I think, got nine Democrats to vote with him. He also got, uh, of all people, obviously, he got his own vote as an independent of caucuses with the Democrats, and he got Rand Paul the the libertarian-leaning republican to vote with him to say look you know let's give us the facts on on what's being done with the with with our aid and with our weapons senator baldwin voted against that and she was wrong to vote against that you know it was i mean no matter what stance she takes and she's she's toggled along here and had a you know somewhat critical of, of the israeli approach but yet obviously just voted in favor of the huge aid package that went through congress the other day um but uh no matter what you think about her stance there, the fact that that she didn't vote with Sanders and the others simply to figure out um, the level of complicity that the United States has and what's going on in Gaza, that was a wrong vote. And and I do think that there are people who are noticing this, and and you're, you're not the first person who has brought up concerns about her stand. I don't know what impact that'll have politically. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, she is running for re-election this year, and... Obviously, all of these things become factors in it. What I will tell you is that no matter what the impact politically, there are places where you would hope that your elected officials would rise above politics, right and and kind of do what is right. And to my view, um I, I think that as an example, Congressman Mark Pokan has been uh, more in that in that camp of late um, and his support for ceasefire his willingness to take on APAC, his uh, willingness to talk about decreasing the military budget rather than increasing it. I think that is very much in the Wisconsin tradition. Remember, Robert M. La Follette in 1917, uh, risked his Senate seat to oppose World War I. And then he continued to risk it to speak out for free speech in wartime. It was an incredibly intense, incredibly difficult moment in our history. La Follette made his name nationally he had been a great progressive leader, and he's certainly known for that. But he made his name nationally as a great dissenter in a time of war. That was what our U.S. senator did, what our representative in Washington did. It was a it was very bold, very dangerous uh, political move, supposedly. And yet, um, after he did that, right, there were people who said, well, he's doomed politically. He's done. He's got to quit politics. Um, he ran for reelection. He actually said as he ran for re-election um, that he didn't want the support of people that disagreed with him on it, because he was right about World War One. He was very bold, very blunt in his statements about it. And he was re-elected by the widest margin of any senator up to that point in, in Wisconsin history, and I think pretty much since then. So the fact is there's a lot of sentiment in Wisconsin for standing up and, and doing the right thing, especially on issues of war and peace
0: well at the top of this hour i had plans of going to a number of different uh questions uh but just the callers response and interest that, that you generated uh suggests that there's a, a movement out there uh that people are very very concerned uh and rightfully so in regard to uh what's been going on and and the support for what's been going on from leaders in washington in uh, our state representatives, et cetera, uh, with, with Pokan's exception, of course. So, John, I want to thank you ever, ever so much. I want to have you back as soon as we can because we can get to the other half dozen qu- <laughs> topics that that I'd love to uh, uh, probe, probe. So, uh, again, thank you very much. I want to thank uh, callers, listeners. I want to thank Jack for engineering, Jade for producing Uh, I've been your host for this hour. My name is Alan Ruff, and I'll be speaking with you next week.